When last we saw Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 13, they were preaching about Jesus in the Jewish synagogue in an area named Pisidian Antioch. And it's not the same Antioch in Syria which serves as the church's home base. But, but in Pisidian Antioch, the audience there, the Jewish audience in the synagogue is very receptive to the gospel. And actually, Paul and Barnabas, they were invited to preach on the very next Sabbath day. And, and so they were preparing to do that, and they began that process. But by this time, some enemies had galvanized the opposition. And so Paul and Barnabas are driven out of that region. But this is where this matters for us in Acts chapter 13. The gospel mission is expanded beyond the Jewish audience to the Gentiles. The gospel is now available to all. All people now have the opportunity for salvation. And so they travel 90 miles east to a town named Iconium. And this morning we find them in Acts 14. Acts 14 in Iconium... Paul and Barnabas, they enter the synagogue of the Jews there together and they speak in such a way that a large number of people believe, both Jews and Greeks. And again, as we have seen, this is the standard operating procedure for, for Paul and Barnabas. This is the jumping off point. Paul and Barnabas show how, the, how Jesus fulfills all the prophecies of which they are familiar. These Jewish worshipers they read the law and the prophets. And so Paul and Barnabas show them how Jesus is the fulfillment of, of, all of, of all of what the law and the prophets say. Paul and Barnabas are helping them make those connections. But what happens, some, some unbelieving Jews, they stir up the minds of the Gentiles there and they embitter them against Paul and Barnabas. These Gentiles are stirred up by these jealous hostile Jews, and, and it says that their minds are poisoned. They're poisoned. What happened? Well, the very same thing, the very same kind of thing happens today. Slander. Slander. People, what happens when, when slander occurs, people hear half a story. They hear half a story, and then they make up the rest of the details to finish the story. And a lot of times, yes, you would never believe it, but sometimes that's done maliciously. <laughs> I'm saying that, trying to be funny. But there is a malicious intent with slander. And so what happens, folks begin to develop an inaccurate view of God. You know, there are people that say inaccurate things about God and Jesus and the Christian faith and the church Today. They say inaccurate things about God's Word today because they're angry. They know part of it, they've heard part, and so they fill in the rest. Something is misunderstood out of context. And so Jesus and His church are maligned. Well, the same thing is happening with Paul and Barnabas. And so what happens, we see that Paul and Barnabas spend a long time there in Iconium, and they're speaking boldly. Just like in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit descends and, 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 and pours Himself out there on the early church. 
and grants them boldness. Paul and Barnabas are speaking with boldness. They're relying on the Lord. And we see that, that the Lord is testifying to the word of His grace. He's keeping His promise. And, and He's granting that signs and wonders are going to be performed by the hands of Paul and Barnabas. They can rely on the Lord. Paul and Barnabas can rely on the Lord. And the reason they can rely on the Lord is because they trust the Lord. In the same way in which we are asked to rely on the Lord, we can trust in the Lord. They see the Lord at work. Well, what happens? The people of that city are divided. Some side with the Jews and some side with with these apostles. Regardless of, of what all the people in that city are able to observe with these signs and wonders in spite of All that the Lord is doing, kind of like in our day, (laughs) you're going to have some naysayers. And so the people of Iconium have divided opinions about Paul and Barnabas. So what happens next? Well, the unbelieving Jews and these embittered Gentiles, they attempt to to catch the ear and the favor of the rulers there of that city. And, And so there's an attempt, they make an attempt to try to sway the leaders to mistreat Paul and Barnabas, and to stone them. Well, Paul and Barnabas, they become aware of this, and, and, and they flee to the cities of Lyconia and Lystra and Derbe, and the surrounding region where we, where we have, uh, they call that the Galatian region. In, in our Bibles, we have a letter to the Galatians. Well, that's, it's, that's, that, that's that area. So Paul and Barnabas, they move on. And I would assume they, they moved on in the same way in which Jesus instructed the disciples back in Luke chapter 9. Jesus said, as for all who do not receive you, when you leave that city, you shake the dust off your feet as a testimony, as a sign of judgment against them. And I'm, I would assume that Paul and Barnabas do the same thing here. So they travel on to these three cities and they continue to preach the gospel. Why do they do that? At the end of the day, that's their mission. At the end of the day, that's our mission. We do a lot of of good things. We have a great fellowship. We spend wonderful time together. We're called to worship the Lord, to be in His presence, and to preach His Word. That, that's, that's the main goal. So on to these Galatian cities they go. And, and I mentioned one named Lystra. Well, Lystra is 18 miles south of Iconium. So they travel 18 miles. And when they get there, there's a, a crippled man, a man crippled from birth. And he's listening intently to Paul. And, and Paul looks at him intently. And he sees that this man has the faith to be made well. Paul looks at his faith, and Paul says, Stand upright on your feet. And the man leaps up and begins to walk. (laughs) Again, this is a sign, it's a wonder, it's a miracle. The crowds there in Lystra, they see what Paul has done. And they raise their voice, and they say in their own language, this Lyconian language, they say, the gods have become like men, and they've, they've come down to us. And what happens, because they believe in Greek mythology, 
they begin calling Barnabas Zeus. And they call Paul Hermes, since he's the chief speaker or the chief messenger there. And what happens, there's a temple to Zeus right outside the city. And right outside the city, and, and so one of those temple priests brings oxen and garlands to the city gates and wants to offer sacrifices with the crowds. The crowds get carried away, to say the very least. They're awed to the extreme, to the point where, where Paul and Barnabas are thought to be these Greek deities. Every region has cultural strongholds of beliefs. Even in our, in our southern region of the United States, there's certain cultural things which are part of who we are. Uh, but in that region and culture, Greek mythology, it, it, that, that runs rampant. And so Zeus or Jupiter by his Roman name, uh, Hermes or Mercury by that Roman name, Hermes is the one that has the metal hat with the wings, the messenger. And so they, they refer to Bar- Barnabas and Paul as these two. And then this priest, you add into the mix this priest who wants to begin to sacrifice to Zeus. The crowds go wild, they're ready to party. And Paul and Barnabas, they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand the language, but they're watching. They're watching, and and they get the gist of what's happening. They tear their robes. They tear their robes, and they rush out into the crowds trying to stop them. So why are they tearing their robes? Well... They don't want to be associated with blasphemy, with, dis, with disregarding and disrespecting God. There's an old phrase, an old phrase that says, Touch not the glory. Touch not the glory. Worship is not man's glory. Worship is the Lord's glory. And this is a lesson which is still pertinent today. You see, there's always a temptation to linger in the spotlight. To linger in the spotlight of of the platform or a position of service, there's always a temptation to linger just a bit longer than is appropriate for for those of us in leadership. We can all think of, of famous Christian leaders or preachers or celebrities who have mishandled the things of God which, which really are meant for Him alone. That, that happens. There's this temptation to linger. Well, Paul says, men, why are you doing these things? We're also men of the same nature as you, preaching the gospel to you to turn from these useless things to a living God. We're preaching this so you'll turn from these useless things to a living God. A living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that's in them. They, they attempt to put a stop to all this frenzied celebration 
They say, we're, we're men just like you. We put our sandals on the same as you every morning. We're flesh and blood. And we're preaching this gospel to you. And this gospel, this living gospel, is to turn you away from these useless things. These, these silly things which waste time. The gospel is to turn you around to see a living God. A living God who made the heavens and made the earth and made the sea and everything that's in them. Whereas the lot of, of you, the lot of you think of us as Zeus and his messenger Hermes. You think of us as Zeus and his messenger Hermes who, who by the way, aren't living gods but myths. We preach a living gospel from a living God. We can trust the Lord. We can rely on the Lord because He is a living God. He is a living God, and we preach a living gospel, a living gospel which points to new life in Him. A living gospel from a living God, one which points to a living Savior. It's no secret even today we have a lot of folks out there who believe a lot of different things. And some of that, some of that is human nature. Realizing that there are things in existence bigger than us. But see, we've been designed that way. There's a book in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, and, and in chapter 3, we see in Ecclesiastes 3 that, that God has placed eternity in the heart of man. We have a God-shaped hole in our lives that's meant for worship. It's really meant to worship God and God alone, but what happens, we fill it with all sorts of stuff. We're always tempted to fill it with all sorts of things. You see, we as people are going to worship something. And I don't necessarily mean lighting a candle and praying to something, but it's very easy to get lost following our dreams or following our desires or or following our plans or, or following our agendas. And I think at some points in life, we tend to follow our memories. And see, these are all good things. It's good to have interests. These are all good, blessed, God-given things. But what happens when we, when we get the balance out of whack? When we begin to place our eternal hope on these kinds of things... In essence, these things become useless. Because we have a living gospel from a living God. One which points to a living Savior. Paul says, he says, In past generations, God permitted all the nations to go their own ways. However, God did not leave himself without witness. And and that he did good things. He he gave good things. He he gave us rain from heaven. And he still does. He gives us rain. He, He gives us fruitful seasons. 
He satisfies our hearts with food and gladness. Our God is alive. He's not a myth. Even so, sometimes folks have to hear about the gospel of salvation and the things of God more than one time. The crowd doesn't catch on immediately. And the writer of the book of Acts, Luke, tells us in verse 18 that only with difficulty did Paul and Barnabas restrain the crowds from offering sacrifices to them. And just when they think they have that problem licked, the Jews from Pisidian Antioch, that angry mob, they've traveled and they stop at Iconium and they get the angry mob there and here they come. (laughs) They've been traveling behind Paul and Barnabas They arrive, it's now the perfect storm. On one hand, you have this mob who want to worship Paul and Barnabas. And on the other, you have a mob wanting blood. The angry mob wins out. They win over the crowds and they stone Paul. They stone Paul. They drag Paul out of the city thinking that he's dead. Do you remember where we first met Paul? It was at a stoning. Stephen's murder. Paul, or as he was known as Saul in those days, he is actually holding the coats of all those who are taking part of that murder of Stephen. Kind of interesting. Paul is pummeled over and over and over with stones of throwable size to the point where he is assumed to be dead. When you and I would kill an insect, we stomp on it, and then we stomp on it again to make sure it's dead, right? Paul is pummeled over and over and over. Drag him out and leave him. The disciples come and surround him. Paul gets up, dusts himself off, and he goes right back into that city of Lystra. Paul is a pretty tough bird, but Paul is on mission. And the next day, Paul leaves with Barnabas to the city of Derbe. And after they preach the gospel to that city, and they make a good number of disciples, which means they stay a while, they, they live among the townspeople of Derby, and they, they preach the gospel, they teach the gospel, they communicate the gospel, they model the gospel, which means they live with people. They live amongst the people. They're therefore an undetermined season... What happens then? They depart and they begin to make their way back to these hostile areas of Lystra and Iconium and Pisidian Antioch where we left them two weeks ago. They make their way back to encourage the churches. 
to strengthen the souls of the disciples, to encourage them to continue in the faith. They, and they say, it's through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. You see, hard times are part of it, and Paul bears the marks of it. Sometimes when we, we meet resistance, we kind of fold and quit, don't we? Not Paul. All of these stops on the way back, they, they appoint elders to the, every church, they pray, they fast, they entrust these elders and, and their churches to the Lord in whom they have believed. What better place to be? <laughs> to know that regardless of what is going on, all hell may be breaking loose, but to know that you are exactly where you need to be in the presence of the Lord, entrusted to the Lord. And Paul and Barnabas, they, they move on preaching. And they name, there's four cities, Pisidia, Pamphylia, Perga, Italia. And then, from there, they, they sail back to the point where they were first commissioned in Antioch. They've, where they had been entrusted to the grace of God for the work that they've accomplished. This work of mission and ministry. And so they arrive. In verse 27 it says they arrive. And look at what it says. When they arrive and they gather the church together. It doesn't say when they get to the church and then they get all the people together. They gather the church together. The people, the church. And they begin to report all the things that God had done. All that God had done with them and how the Lord has opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spend a long time there with the disciples. They remind the church that if Jesus dealt with hard, Jesus had to deal with hard and Jesus had to deal with tough. That if Jesus had to do these things, they would too. You know, Jesus, on the night of the Last Supper, when he was, before he was arrested in the garden, he warned the disciples. They hate me, and if you think they hate me, huh, yeah, they're going to hate you. And he had warned them. He had warned them before that, however, about the hard road which they would face. And, and here, Paul and Barnabas remind the church of the difficult road ahead. And this hasn't changed. There are places in the world today where Christ followers will be killed for their faith. There will be believers martyred and massacred. Church buildings will be destroyed. 
One writer named Marshall says that one vital point is the way of this, these last few verses. One vital point is the way in which this whole missionary journey, this whole missionary tour, is seen as having been directed by God, who had opened up the way to the Gentiles. And the writer says, although it may not have been apparent during this tour, the missionaries were now able to look back over what had happened and recognize the hand of God at work. Can't we relate to that? It, sometimes it's only when we stop and we take a breath and we look back that we're able to get a better view. We're able to get a better view of everywhere the Lord has led us. Every way the Lord has worked in us and to us and through us. Everything which God has done. You see, that's how we know that we serve a living God. Because we have a living gospel <laughs> found in His living Word. And this living God has given us a living hope and a living Savior. Thanks be to our living God that we have the gospel.